the Far Post podcast. We are back for another week. The dub doth deliver once again. Lots of really interesting draws this past round. Lots of cracking goals. Plenty to talk about. So we absolutely cannot wait to get started and talk about all of it. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, and Sam Lewis. So, friendos, like I said, lots to like, lots to love, in fact. So let's start with some you love to see it. So, Sam, you can kick us off with a you love to see it this week. This week, I loved to see two debut goals, specifically uh, from the Western Sydney Wanderers. I loved seeing Claire Hunt uh, score her first ever goal in the A-League women's, captaining Western Sydney Wanderers in their win over Brisbane 3-1. And then the two goals to Bethany Gordon. Beth Gordon is such an underrated player, I feel, not just in this team, but in the entire competition. She's such a classy little midfielder. She's so technically gifted and she works so goddamn hard all the time for this team. So to see the two of them pop up and get these goals in a game that they really had to win as well in order to keep sort of keep touch with uh, with the top five was, was, yeah, amazing. So Beth Gordon, Claire Hunt, debut goals, love to see it. Claire Hunt's had a good few weeks, hasn't she? And I love it for her. I absolutely love love it for her. (laughs) Harrow, what did you love to see? Uh, I like to get back to regular programming. It's not a Sam Kerr one. Um, Holly McNamara, the Mac is back. Um, It's an incredible little moment from Melbourne City's one-all draw with Sydney FC. It didn't result in a goal, but I think it just underlined how skillful this player is. Um, Clearance comes in from defensive midfield into the direction of Holly McNamara and she like flicks it over her head, runs onto it, burns off a couple of defenders and then um, squares it to Katerahas. Unfortunately, it doesn't end in a goal. The last final ball was probably a bit wide, but the way she just flicked this ball over her head, ran onto it like it was nothing and burnt off a bunch of defenders. It's the sort of stuff that makes you go, get her in the squad, Tony, bring her back, bring back the Mac because just... Such an influential player. And when you look at the, um, I think the players on that pitch, you go, Courtney Vine is the standout player in the A-League women, obviously. But, geez, you've just got those glimpses that reminded you that Holly McNamara last season wasn't that far behind um, before injuring herself. So, yeah, McNamara getting back to doing what she does best. You love to see it. And Harrow getting back to either Sam Kerr or Holly McNamara, you love to see it. We love to see it. It really <laughs> is regular scheduled programming, like you said. It's classic. We love it. Um, from that same game, though, I have to mention, Jada Wyman's save in the ninth minute, it was McNamara cutting it back to Gallich, which that little move, sensational. Oh, love to see stop that. Stop it. Hope to see that in the senior Matildas very soon. Um, but Jada Wyman save, holy mo- she is she really is just Brilliant. like the I think the best keeper in. I'm, I think I'm making that call. Um, I think she is one it's, of it's it's, it's, Wyman, it's Wyman and Dumont in the league, yeah, right? Like basically, yeah. you've got the you've got the couple of Americans. Hillary Beal's very good. Hensley Hancock's very good. But I think when you look at the Aussie keepers in the mm. league, and Sally James turned in a pretty super game, let's be honest, in this she one as really well. But yeah, Wyman, and, Wyman and Dumont, I think, are just so mm-hmm. far above everyone. Like you look at um, that Dumont game against but that Dumont game against uh, Melbourne City last week where she made like 11 saves and it wasn't even the main mm. talking point. You're just like, you are very good. Like these are the clearly the two, two best. Like... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for them, Mackenzie Arnold's playing really well and is now our number one goalkeeper. So, you know, no vulnerability there. So it's a good we, thing, though. It's a good it, thing, though. Keep everyone on their toes. If you've got five goalkeepers performing in Australia, that's, uh, one, a very Australian thing to have so many goalkeepers in good nick. Um, two, exciting. It truly is. So we absolutely love to see that Wyman goal. There was an Olympico in England, so shout out to Poppy Pattinson, who scored a glorious Olympico. I feel like it came off the ge- the keeper's glove, though. So, like, that's why I'm not as excited as I usually would be about. Not pure, is it? Yeah, it like, it was great, but it wasn't huge and enormous. Um, but my actual... <laughs> my actual you love to see it from this week was Sierra Hinson's goal because it was just struck 
so beautifully that like if little cartoon flames kind of shot out of the ball I wouldn't have been surprised (laughs) like I simply wouldn't have batted an eyelid because that is how quick she hit this ball it was really beautiful goal and really important one nil win for Perth glory but let's crack into the actual chat because like I said really like if last week was the most chaotic one this one certainly like brought us back down to earth but there were still some really interesting results so we had the Jets and Adelaide uh notching up a 2-2 draw on Friday night weird um we talked about it City and Sydney City left it very late to share the points in that one Perth Glory beat Wellington 1-0 Canberra and Victory played out a 1-1 draw as well and then Western Sydney had a really good night the 3-1 victory over Brisbane but lots of that's the thing. The games were good, but unfortunately we need to start today's episode with another bizarre off-field points deduction. Like, how has this happened again? I'm, I think um, the meme where it's like, if I had a nickel for every time this had happened, I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. Um, <laughs> so Brisbane Raw have had uh, three points docked for their 2-0 win over Western United. They've had to forfeit that game, so it's now a 3-0 victory to Western United because they fielded an ineligible player. It was Aisha Nori who was meant to serve a one-match suspension for an accumulation of yellow cards, um, but instead played this game fully, and that's why... And got a yellow card in that game. (laughs) Yeah. We'll give her that. Right. She's consistent. Well, she knows. She knows was, a brand. When the, the release initially came out, and you know how you go, oh, it just sent an eligible player. And I was like, well, we'll just look at the last game, the game that they'd referenced on the fourteenth, and say, oh, who got yellow? So I think there were two players, and it was India Page Riley and Aisha Nori. And I was like, well, it's going to be sure it's going to be Nori because midfielder. You go look at the stats, and you're like, yes, it is. And <laughs> had the actual stats for the Western United game. And you're like, oh, and she got another one. <laughs> That's. Unbelievable commitment to the bit, and I have no choice but to respect it. But like we said, it's thrown, again, the whole kind of table into a spin because it has basically extinguished Brisbane Roar's chances coupled with the loss on the weekend. Their hopes of finals are now done, but it has elevated Western United back to the top of the table after they got knocked off because of Sydney's points gain from the Canberra. We need a a Pepe Silvia meme to understand all of this, to be honest. But let's talk about it. What the hell is going on that all of these points deductions keep happening? It's interesting. There's clearly a level from your officials in your APL, but there's also a level from the clubs. Brisbane are are going to appeal this. Um, Gareth McPherson, the coach, actually told my colleague, in Brisbane for AAP, Joel Gould, about this. So Brisbane, their argument was that they believe the yellow card tally is four four yellows in the A-League women for those who are maybe newer to the league. In the men's, it's five before you get the suspension. Because of the shorter season, it's always been four with the A-League women. So Brisbane believe the tally reset after 14 rounds rather than 14 games. Obviously, the rounds includes by rounds, right? Um, So she picked up her fourth yellow card in round 15, but that was their... 14th match of the campaign so Brisbane believed that she was already in the clear I think what's really going to cost them here is it seems that there's a well even Gareth says we assumed Nori was fine and had gone past the round 14 juncture so I think that's the maybe the devil in the detail that's going to cost them here is assumptions um clearly uh, there's been some issue in terms of officiating or in the admin side of things because you would think, and I think friend of the pod, Vince Regari, has kind of said it on Twitter, that you should have some sort of big flashing thing like player ineligible, player ineligible. Like you, there should be a, something in place to stop this happening. But you feel like there's also a level of human error and that someone needed to pick up the phone and confirm that Aisha Nori was right to go, yeah? Like yeah, yeah. It, it feels like there's errors on both sides, but for me it um, and you, you know, you, you don't want to see teams get points deductions. You don't want to see these things happen. But um, yeah, it's, it feels like there's that level of human error. The interesting thing, um, where was it? Was they they're leaning on an old example um, to try and you know avoid the points deduction was from 2016, where Larissa Crummer, who now plays for Brisbane Roar, um, was playing for Melbourne City. She was suspended for round one of 2016, but apparently Mel- Gareth has said. 
Melbourne City never received notification of it. She played 10 games in a row and they eventually realised and she was suspended for round 11, but City were never docked points. So that's the precedent that Brisbane Roar are going to go off in terms of appealing. So it's it's interesting. I, I don't know if they're actually going to be successful, but I think it's, it's an alarming look for the league that you've had two situations like this happen in such a short time. Like I remember, I think it was last year or the season before, having to write that one about Sydney FC. Um, like it, was, it wasn't so significant. The it's in the men's. It wasn't so significant because they'd already lost the games. So all it actually did was affect their goal difference. What's happened with Brisbane and Canberra, obviously, in these two situations is these teams have won the games and then had the points deduction. So I've seen people saying, oh, you know, is it the same? It's like, yeah, it's the same. It's just the result was different with the Sydney FC game. Like a 2-1 loss has turned into a 3-0 loss, whereas it feels so much harsher, obviously, when you've won the game. So, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see if Brisbane, Sam, have any have any actual way to get out of this one. For me, just doing the sniff test, pub test, it feels like Canberra because it was in-game and there was a fourth official ticking it off. It feels like they've maybe got more of a leg to stand on or there maybe is more wiggle room for them to get it overturned. I don't know if they will, it, but the Brisbane one, it just feels like I, I, I struggle to see it getting overturned. Yeah, what's that quote? Never assume it just makes an ass out of you and me. That sort of feels like the situation with kind of both of the clubs, really, both Brisbane and Canberra. There is a level of assumption that was made on 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 the part of the the coaching staff in each of those situations, um, where a decision was made based on that. But I do I do think I do agree with you, Harry. I do think Canberra are more likely to have theirs overturned because that was a situation where the fourth official made an error, seemingly, um, and I would not really give that same level of responsibility to the situation with Brisbane. It seems like, like absolutely there should be some kind of process. Like it doesn't seem like anyone knows what the process is in terms of when you've got a player who has accumulated yellow cards, is there something in a system somewhere on a computer that like spits out a list saying these players are ineligible for this round? Is there something like that? And if not, why? There feels like there probably should be. Um, how are clubs notified then if if that doesn't exist about what they can and cannot do in terms of players? Um, and also there were there are various periods leading up to a game in which something like that could come up. So like when you select your extended squad, for example, do you not need to input that into a spreadsheet somewhere and send it to the APL and then someone needs to cross-check it with stats like this? And then, like, selecting the squad 90 minutes before the game. Is there not another process? Like, what, like there's just no clarity around this sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I would assume that um, Brisbane are probably going to have to cop it. Um, also because, like, it's pretty – it feels like pretty standard counting to, ju- to just know how many yellow cards one player has accumulated. Like, is that too much to, to ask? Well, I, I we feel see- like it's pretty basic. We see clubs all the time, um, well, you don't see it all the time, but you've seen it in the past where players have copped up, you know, coughed up pretty cheap yellows and got the suspension yeah. a week before finals, for example, or, yeah. you know, or players have been subbed off because the club knows that they're on four yellows or, or three, sorry, three yellows in A-League women and they know that if they cop up, cop another yeah. one, like, they might miss a final. Like, like it's, it's pretty standard, right, to be on top of your books, so... Yeah, exactly. Especially in in a situation like this, where you can only have four yellows until you're suspended because it's such a short season, as you mentioned. So, like, you would have to be even more aware that this is a, a like a a ceiling that you're potentially going to be reaching um, sooner rather than later. So, yeah, it's it's just it's yeah, it's it's frustrating and it's it is a bad look, I think, when you take sort of a bigger step back. But at the same time like this stuff happens I don't remember though the last time something like this happened in the dub I mentioned this on Twitter as well and I know that this is something that happens in other leagues and we've seen the same penalties handed out for similar breaches of policy but I don't actually remember this happening before is it is that just a complete coincidence that it's happened almost two weeks in a row for similar kinds of situations or is it just that when they happened in the past they weren't picked up on as you mentioned with the Larissa Crummer example there 
It was interesting seeing uh, you copped a bit of blowback, Sam, on Twitter when you tweeted yeah. about Mela Mastrantonio, who plays for Perth, who are obviously in the thick of this finals race as well. And her argument was very much, it, it's, if it's a breach, it's a breach. Um, and yeah, I take, I take about, issue on, with that, on. though. Let me, let me finish before you get there. It's interesting because I feel like when other players or coaches have been asked about it, like Victory, for example, they're ahead of playing Canberra or two weeks ago when it came up, Melina Rez was very sort of like, oh, you know, these things happen. And I think even Jeff Hopkins wasn't too keen to comment on it. I don't think too many people are keen to sort of have a crack Waiting. at another club for these things happening mm. because I think you you probably always put yourself in their shoes and go, oh, geez, if that happened to us, we'd be filthy. Like, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know, Sam. I'm not sure if it's um just that it's been tighter before. I don't want to, um, you know, query the standards or anything like that. But it is, I don't know if people have been going through stuff with a fine tooth comb or if there's been a slip up or if it's pure coincidence. Mm. Like, because they're obviously different situations. One's in game, one is pre game admin sort of thing. But yeah, bizarre. It's not a good look for the league. But go on, Sam. And I also, I think that the biggest um, question that I have coming off the back of this is like, for lack of a better word, the proportionality of the punishment. I feel like the the the, the what the both clubs have had to cop in terms of the points deductions, in terms of the loss of goal difference, is pretty huge compared to what they actually did. Like I don't, I, and maybe this is just one of those things where the deeper and deeper you get into the rule books of the league, you sort of realise that well, there's just this sort of blanket rule that they've had to implement across all of these different kinds of policy breaches, regardless of their proportionality, because they just need something. But it feels like one of those moments where it's like it, like these these feel too small a thing to have done for the punishment that they have received off the back of it. I, I feel like the Brisbane one maybe not so much because they've fielded a player who should just not be playing, and yes. they've won a well, game yes. by having one of their players playing who should not have been playing, who should have been suspended. Like I think I can see why that's that sort of point deduction comes because. Yeah, and you so kind of ruin the integrity of the. Uh, I uh, I know everyone has different views on should you have, should accumulation of yellow cards be a thing? Like it clearly is harsher on certain players. Like Aisha Nori, defensive midfielder, is always going to pick up more cards yeah. than I don't know Courtney Vine. Like you know, just because of the way these players play. But if you have a rule around a yellow card accumulation, you've got to stick to it, and there's got to be the suspensions, and you know, like it's. Stuff that's been yeah, the, and that's, the so Canberra that's one enough. is the Canberra one feels harsh, but then at the same yeah. time you can understand with the rule book where they go, but say Sydney if so it was two one in that game, you go well if Canberra wasting time, so Sydney can't get a chance to you know like if you can you can delve all sorts of ways into it right, sure. but at the end of the day, geez, for the sake of taking Michelle Heyman off in the what eighty ninth minute or whatever it was, it's yeah, it's a big. Big mistake and a big price to pay, hey? It, the, yeah. The, the, it's yeah, it's. It, I agree with you though. It's it's a lot. It's a lot, and I. It's it's been interesting seeing people compare it to say the Melbourne Victory men's sanctions for the fan pitch invasion. I feel like that's a bit disingenuous because they're completely different things. Like yeah. one is on-field admin and rules and regulations, and the other is just not just not that right. Um, yeah, exactly. And also a points deduction in that particular context would have done nothing. It wasn't about the, what the club did. It was about what the fans did. And that was yeah. explained when the punishments were handed out as well. And also victory at the bottom of the table. So who cares if they got fewer points? <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered. Anyway, different conversation. Yeah, completely different conversation. But, yeah, it is um, it is interesting. But, yeah, as I pointed out before, the, the Sydney FC men's one, I think people have talked about, and I think it's important to note that context that, in those games, the Sydney FC men's team had, I think, already lost. So it didn't feel like as harsh a punishment when in reality, had they won those two games, like it would have, you know, been a, a, a blow in terms of points. Anyway, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see. It's got to get resolved quickly, though. Finals aren't that far away, um, especially for Canberra, who are, you know, if you add those three points back in, they're genuinely back in the race. Brisbane's loss on the weekend really, you know, hurt, hurt them in that sense. I think they're just about out of it. But... If you're, you know, Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City, Canberra and um, and Perth Glory, who, let's be realistic, are probably those four teams that are jostling for those third, fourth, fifth, sixth. It's, yeah, it, it's going to be significant. 
on Canberra, Niegos Popovic is hopeful that they will know before this weekend whether their appeal has been successful and knowing just like podcasters luck, you will probably get this episode, hear all of this chat, but actually know whether the appeal was successful or not. So sometimes it really do be like that. But um, it's going to be interesting because as we said right off the top, these punishments obviously just haven't affected the clubs that have had the points deduction. They have benefited other clubs who are right in the thick of premiership races, let alone finals races. So we wait and watch to see what will happen. But we'll stick with Brisbane and move just into a slightly sort of different conversation. Katrina Gori has gone back to Sweden, which obviously sucks for Brisbane. It sucks for us as as fans, as people who enjoy watching Katrina Gori play football and stuff. Um, The interesting thing was that we could have realistically seen more of Katrina Gori, but as Harrow's colleague at AAP uh, reported and found out, she's been let go or allowed to leave her Brisbane Rule contract 10 days early so that she can be released from her Swedish contract 10 days early in preparation for the Women's World Cup, which national team had on we absolutely love to see but um I suppose the conversation I wanted to have about this was we know that obviously Gori is a big loss for Brisbane Raw even though they aren't really in finals I know we've said they're kind of here and thereabouts it isn't really a factor for Brisbane Raw in the sense of their finals push but in terms of clubs signing a player like Katrina Gori knowing that they don't have them for a full season And it's not just Gori. We've had a lot of the NWSL clubs obviously recall their players who are in the A-League women's and then they've got to head back. Alex Chidiak, Jordan Bloomer, uh, Chelsea Dorber, all of these players have kind of gone back to their parent clubs. We know that it's a good situation for the players because obviously they get that year-long football and all of this kind of stuff. But is it actually a good deal for the A-League women's clubs? Like, is it something that can be sustained as we kind of move forward and the dub grows and also all these other leagues grow, your, your Scandinavian leagues, the NWSL, as they continue to grow. Can dub clubs basically afford to keep signing players in this specific kind of situation, if that makes sense? It's a good question. I think the the big answer and the short answer is no, um, because it's just gonna it's just not going to be possible to be able to do both anymore, which is a good thing because it means that leagues across the world are growing and they're growing to the point where you can just stay in in the one league and be able to earn a full time wage and be a full time player. That's great. Um, I think it also like the the longer and more nuanced answer is that it depends on what you want the player for. I think, for example, about the role that Jess McDonald played at Western United. Um, where she was brought in knowing that she was only going to be there for a short time, knowing obviously that she had a fantastic impact on the field, but her role in that club, and maybe it's just because they are a new club and they were they had a blank slate and they were building stuff from scratch, her role was largely off-field. Her role was leadership, her role was setting standards, her role was culture, her role was a lot more than just being able to be a really good player on the field. And I think what we've seen in the way that Western United have responded to her absence is a really good example of what can happen and how a club can go about something like this because they haven't necessarily, like there was maybe a little bit of a dip when in the first sort of two or three rounds after she was gone. But eventually you brought in another player. You brought in a player who had been an understudy and who had been there training at that standard with a Jess McDonald up until that point. And so it was a fairly easy transition into that second string player. Uh, I think that that's probably the only situation in which a, uh, a larger uh, decision like this makes sense is if you, you really are targeting a player of that caliber who comes in and plays a bigger role rather than just being an amazing player on the field, but actually helps to build something behind the scenes with the team. And so that when they leave, they, they sort of like, they come in and they wave their, their magic wand and they disappear into the ether and they sort of leave the club in a better place already by virtue of where what they did. Um, but you contrast that with situations in other clubs, like you look at a Katrina Gori situation, you look at an Alex Chidiak potentially situation mm. as well. 
where their role in those teams was largely on field. It was largely their contribution to... It was almost a reliance in terms of results. Um, And now that they're gone, they haven't really been able to replace them. They haven't had the players who've been able to step into those shoes because of how reliant those teams really were on those individual players. So I think it, yeah, I think it depends. I think overall the answer is no, but there could be some exceptions to the rule. And I think we knew this. This is partly why the A-League women's expanding, right? Like so that players can have it as their one and done season. Um, we yeah. already saw um, Kara Cooney Cross in particular didn't come back to the dub this season, didn't do the dual seasons. Charlie Grant didn't do dual seasons. Like th- those players were getting a rest and um, Emily Van Egmond didn't come back from the NWSL. Like she had her break. Like I think it's important for a lot of people to be aware of wh- what these different players needed. Like Alex Chidiak, I think needed to keep finding form and she got into really sparkling form that was, put her into that conversation as should she be starting for the national team? And I think that was really important for her, especially after sort of an interrupted start to her time at um, Racing Louisville last year, you know, with the the face fracture and that sort of thing. Like it, it was important for her, whereas Akira Kuni Cross probably needed a break. Um, it was interesting seeing Ellie Carpenter say to, um, say to Forbes magazine this week that the ACL was almost a blessing in disguise because she was getting burnt out. I would personally argue I feel like she was kind of about to get a break anyway and the ACL was really unfortunate. But maybe for her, from what she was saying, you know, having come onto the scene as really, a, let's be real, it would have been a 14-year-old. She was Matilda's debut by 15. She needed the break to reset and to enjoy things outside of football. But anyway, I digress. Different players will need their breaks. Different players will need uh, time to find some form and fitness. It's clearly what players like Alex Chidiak and Katrina Gori wanted. But, yeah. It's not going to be sustainable for most players to play two seasons. We've had this conversation for years, and I agree with Sam completely. It's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, Katrina Gorey played a pretty pivotal role in Brisbane. It's difficult for players like Gorey and Chidi Agnay because they are so influential. So if you get them – and Weston looked like they were going to have this with Chloe Legazzo for a bit there, and she unfortunately couldn't get on the park. I think the other thing Jess McDonald did was she really set a standard on field as well. Like she was – so, you know, she's so aggressive, she's so direct, she's so good at what she does. Mm. And um, it took a bit of attention off players like Hannah Keane, allowed her to get on a bit of a goal-scoring run. And now, yeah, she gets more attention. Players or opposition defenders are aware of what she can do. But she's confident, she's scoring goals, she's making an impact. It's easier. Um, Akali Johnson had to wait for her, you know, chance to actually play. She had to really work to get a, a starting spot and... Now she's showing some really exciting glimpses as well. And they, they obviously are getting some good goals from midfield and defence and that as well, Weston. They've been very balanced. But yeah, I think we knew Brisbane, if Katrina Gorey went, would would struggle. So it, it's tough, but you know, all these clubs make these decisions for, for different reasons. And if you know, if you're gonna rely on a, an Alex Chediak or a Katrina Gorey, you've got to know that you might lose them. I think the victory one's more difficult in that. They lost Chidiak and then Elise Keller Knight to injury in the space of two weeks. So that that's pretty significant. It, it sounds like they'll maybe try and get in some sort of injury, or well, maybe not injury replacement, but a replacement midfield signing. But we'll see if that happens. But I think that's sort of magnified it. They expect to have KK for the whole season. Now they've got neither of those two midfielders. But yeah, I think it's it's going to be less and less frequent that we see players double up seasons unless. If they're players like a Legazzo, Chidiak, Gori, who want to get game time, who want to get fitness, it's really going to be a bit of a horses for courses thing, I think. Much like the Americans that used to come over in the NWSL, you know, 10 years ago, some of them just needed to get an extra season under their belt to push for national team. And then once, you know, there would usually be a one and done and Abby Dale Kemper and Emily Sonnet, they get what they need to out of the dub and then off they go. That, that might be what we see more in the future. It's a really interesting discussion and like you guys said, the fact that it's not a new discussion doesn't make it any less interesting because it seems to evolve and because everything continues to progress, not only here but overseas, it makes it a sort of fluid situation. So we'll see how it goes. But let's move on to some other Rondo questions. Let's talk about the draw between City and Sydney because... There's always a lot of hype with games between these two because they're usually finals matches or finals previews. They're always high up on the table. 
the one one draw felt a bit weird I suppose like if I'm looking thinking about it in terms of like finals preview I don't know if that's the game I would have expected if that makes sense um so how did you guys see this game? Who should feel more confident if this was indeed a finals preview? Who should feel more confident about their chances in finals uh, based on what we saw on the weekend out of City and Sydney? I think Sydney will be really bummed that they didn't win this because they were dominant for almost the entire game. Um, the fact that Melbourne City's really best chance came in like the last probably five minutes of the game says a lot about the sort of balance of play. And even though you look at the stats and it's like, okay, City had 14 shots to Sydney's 18. Sydney had 10 shots on target. And that's a real testament to Sally James in goal. She, she really, really stood up and made some fantastic saves. Courtney Vine was absolutely amazing. Rachel Lowe was again, really influential in that weird like faux nine role um, Princess Abini was ripping as well. Like Sydney were really, really good. And they had so many more like convincing passages of play and convincing chances on goal that on any other day, like four or five of them probably would have gone in. It's just that it didn't happen on this particular day, which is frustrating because City were not the city that we know really, particularly not in midfield. Their midfield really was... Leah was Davidson... Just, yeah, I was gonna say it's the it's the absence of that um, the the sort of the solid spine of a Davidson that has been really important sort of for the for the foundation of City's midfield and allowing the more creative players to have license to go forward and and be good. Um, but yes. without them, McKenna just doesn't quite have it, and it's it's you can sort of see it become coming up against a, a much better and more structured midfield in Sydney FCs, you can see by contrast how how much they have changed as a result of Davidson not being there anymore. I, um, do you understand? I'm just curious not to interject completely. I feel like maybe do you look at Katie Bowen in midfield to give that bit of oomph? Because they got bullied by Amy Jackson last week as well. Like, yeah. you know, experience, strength, um, more aggressive defensive midfielders, I feel like of like because Letitia McKenna is a quality young player, but she is more of a creative player, right? Like yeah. Danny Gallich is a is young, creative player. Their midfield is is full of, yeah, more more creative and attacking players per se, I guess. It's yeah, and I, I, I even wonder whether it would have been worth sort of shifting the formation, particularly towards the back end of the first half, because like City's midfield were just being completely overrun. Um, and because Sydney are so, um, I guess, traditional with the way that they set up their midfield and having a, a very classic number six and then an eight and a ten, uh, you like just by virtue of the law of large numbers, like you know that they're going to be able to overrun a midfield that has a 16-year-old Daniela Galich and a Letitia McKenna who's sort of been shoved in there even though she's not a defensive midfielder. And that, had, like you saw it, like particularly Mackenzie Hawksby just ran rings around all of them, constantly just up and down, finding spaces all the time. She was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think potentially bringing in a much more um, level-headed and experienced kind of player into that central role would potentially be useful um and yeah i mean the again like they're in this situation now where they're like all right we've got a returning holly mcnamara we've got a returned uh Cote rojas what do you do in terms of all of these creative attacking sort of players how do you fit them all it's almost a matilda's problem how do you fit them all into the same system how do you find the right combinations of players and we saw you know that you have to sometimes leave some players out some players who have been fantastic this season because you need to try and find a way to, to make all these people gel at the same time. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they go in the last two rounds, two or three rounds of the season, because I think that's this is a question that they need to answer before finals, because if they play like that, they're going to get hammered. Well, they missed Rihanna Policena as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, she's such a creative fulcrum for them, and she's tough and physical, they miss her a lot, um, but still, it's still like multiple creative players. For me, my, my thought is they've struggled to get Wilkinson and Rojas working together as two strikers. They're more both yes. naturally strikers. Neither of them are wingers. It doesn't seem to work. 
I think the best, <clears throat> I like Hannah Wilkinson as a player as well, but I think they played their best at the start of the season when they played Rojas as their nine, when she was replacing Wilkinson, the injury replacement player. They obviously had Amina Ekic and then they would play, whether it was it was often Briley Henry um, as the other attacker, whether you uh, replicate that with Rojas, Henry and McNamara, for example, maybe that's an option or Galich in there. I think they've got to look at starting one and having the other off the bench, which is difficult because yeah. you've got senior players and you, you know, you're a new coach in Darovinicic. You've got to manage senior players, younger players, expectations, egos, all these different things that you have with it, managing any squad. But I don't know if that's maybe something they need to look at because it doesn't seem to be clicking. It doesn't seem to be working. They're not getting right. what they need. Um, or you, you know, depending on form, I say you start Rojas at the moment because I feel like her form has been better than Wilkinson. We know how well it worked last season where you had McNamara playing off Wilkinson. Mm. They need to find one of these two things and make them work because playing those big guns together, it's yeah, it limits your options coming off the bench as well. They need um, forcing up. Sam, I have a, a Sydney FC question for you. Um, and it's funny because it ties into maybe just some of the angst that's been around the men's team with Neuenhoff and Milos Ninkovic going and, you know, turning heroes in a derby. Uh-huh. She's playing at the moment, but she hasn't played all season. If you're, I'm not saying the Wanderers because I know she's been there. Maybe if you're a victory, if you're a city, if you're another team, how hard do you go at trying to get Rachel Lowe out of Sydney with the promise of being a starter every week because yep. uh, she's far too talented a player to be spending as much time on the bench. as she. I, I know she started this game and she's been starting more often, but she hasn't started every game and she's a super talent. Yes. We imagine Taylor Ray will come back next season. The Hawk is clearly and deservedly on form, their go-to attacking midfielder. How One, how worried are you if you're Sydney FC? Two, how hard do you go if you're an opposition club? Because if I'm an opposition club, if I'm Melbourne Victory who's Maybe not getting Alex Chidiak back again because of, you know, US reasons. Yep. I'd be looking at her. I'd be saying, this is the player I want to be our attacking fulcrum. You play, you know, we, we haven't got Kara Cooney Cross. We haven't got Alex Chidiak. Do you go and try and pinch a Rachel Lowe? And you can apply this to another team. You can apply it to an Adelaide. You can apply it to someone else. But how hard would you go is my first question, Sam. And how worried are you if you're Sydney FC? You would go so hard that you'd be like Roadrunner running through a cliff. She is so, so, so good and she is so, so, so wasted at this club. Um, And we've seen that for the past two seasons, that she is too good to be a bench player. And she's also a confidence player because now that she's getting minutes and she's starting, largely because of the injury to other, other teammates, she is she's flourishing. The more time she spends on the field, she, the better she gets. And... It's it's been frustrating because you sort of have seen Ante Juric do this with previous players and Mackenzie Hawksby is a really good example of this where all of a sudden once she started getting consistent starts, she just like hit all of these new ceilings that we didn't even know that she had. So it feels like this could potentially be that moment for Rachel Lowe, but Lowe is older, she's experienced more football and she I think knows that she's not being utilised in the way that she needs to be utilised. Um, in this particular system. I think the the, the weird, again, the, the, the like uh, number 10, faux 9, false 9 sort of role that she's been playing is not is not what she's naturally inclined to do. She's great at it, clearly, because she's scoring goals and she's being really influential in that space. But you can see even just watching the way that how, how she compares to, say, a Remy Simpson or how she compares to, um, to any other sort of more naturally... Um, sort of gifted, I suppose, centre forwards, that she doesn't quite have the same movement. She doesn't really have the same um, energy about her. But what she has is, like you mentioned, Harry, that sort of attacking midfield, like, delicacy almost. Like, she's a very balanced, really beautiful player on the ball. Um, she is very, like, I love the, I love watching her negotiate space she's so interesting to like the way that she uses her body it's almost like liquid it's very interesting so I I would absolutely if I was a team who at the moment is really struggling to fill a role like that would be absolutely gunning for someone like Rachel Lowe and if Lowe wants to be in serious conversations about the Matildas she needs to be in a club that's going to get the most out of her and, and what the position that she's actually best in, which I don't think is this at the moment, even though she's doing really well. 
And just to recap, she's played 90 minutes once this season. She also played 89 minutes against Western United, so that's basically playing 90. But Rachel O's minutes this season, 30, 15, 14, 27, 21, 8, 64, 44, 89, 61, 90. Um, so come much. on as a sub seven times. Um, so started four times, come off three times, three goals. Clearly has so much potential. Um, I know there's been fitness things in the past as well, but this is a player who made a Matilda's debut as a teenager. has been highly rated for a long time. Uh, I think has had to build. Like when she went to Western Sydney, it didn't work out. You know, came back, went to Sydney FC. This is after her college stint and it's building. But there must be the temptation, right? I don't think it will be to go across town to the Wanderers because you want to be in a successful system. We know, as you said, Sam, some of the development work that Ante has done with players, you Claire Wheeler really kicked on. Um, Taylor Ray, um, I think, is a is a great example. Mackenzie yeah. Hawksby, obviously. Um, Courtney Vine, I think, is number one in terms totally. of yeah. those examples. Um, so I think there would still be that temptation to stick around and to be the player. She's still only 22. But I think if you're an opposition team, you'd be mad not to throw a lot at Rachel Lowe, especially yes. if you're a really – if you're a fellow sort of – consistent contender like a victory like a city and say we can we can take you to that next level and I think she'd be smart to to see what the options are as well even if she ends up staying at Sydney FC which would be still obviously a very good move given there's some you know as I just said the the development track record I, th- I feel and like we've also the- got a Central Coast Mariners about to come into the fold as well so you know who else would you like to build a team around potentially than someone like Rachel Lowe who has so many of the things that you would want from a player in her position. They haven't signed many players, if at all. I think they've got one who's come up from their NPL system so far. Um, So, yeah, so if I'm Emma Husband, who's going to be the head coach, I would 100% be scouting the A-League women's at the moment, trying to pinpoint the players who are too good to be benchies and trying to have some conversations now and start to convince them to, to come to the, the palm trees. Not the sauce bottles, the palm trees? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, others, I, hope, I hope the sauce bottles are still going to be there next season. I mean, they're iconic. They're memes. Like, why? That's, I'll be devastated if the sauce bottles aren't around still. Master Foods, this is a threat. You better stick around for the good of Australian football. <laughs> Let's quickly just switch to the other end of the table to have very brief chat about some of the teams whose seasons are done, namely the fact um, that during the week the Jets have announced that Gary Van Egmont has signed a permanent deal, so he will be the head coach next season. Obviously, see through the rest of this season. He was in the position as interim after Ash Wilson had to leave the top job. So I suppose if you're the Jets, and it applies to a couple of other clubs, but we can focus on the Jets. If you are Gary Venegmon and you've got this Newcastle team who have scored some goals in the last round, which was important and good, what more do you want to kind of do, see in these last few rounds to sort of build yourself some sort of foundation for next season? Or is it kind of don't log off, delete the whole account? I think first and foremost, you look at the players who have impressed, who you want to keep around. As Sam just mentioned, Central Coast coming into the league next year, you imagine they'll look at some Northern New South Wales talent. Um, Pick out the ones that you really want to keep. Otherwise, it's it's scouting hard, right? And seeing what budget you can get to bring in some quality. We just talk about... Yeah, that's the you, big problem. Can you do... Yeah, you need to bring through young, talented players. You look at what the Mariners have done in the A-League men under Nick Montgomery. Um, Gary Van Egmond obviously has had that sort of academy and youth role at Newcastle as well. It's what young talent can you really bring through to shine? Newcastle does seem to have one pop up every year or two, Claire Wheeler, Christy Benton, and they tend to get pinched by the bigger teams after a couple of years. Um, I mean, Emily Van Egmond is the most obvious player to have come through Newcastle, right? Um, but there's, yeah, I think that's the first thing you got to do. you got to look at your list and go, who do we want to keep around? Who are our priorities? Can we get them on a couple-year deals? And then you've got to think about recruiting for next year, to be honest. You've got to be looking. Mm. Finals are out of the equation, You've got to be looking at players at other clubs, who's on the periphery, 
who needs opportunity? What can we offer them? What, how do you make Newcastle, not the place, this is not a slander on the place, but Newcastle, the club, an attractive place to be? Because let's be honest, like the last couple of seasons, they've, you, if you're not in the mix for finals, you're sort of bordering, not on relevance, but yes, kind of. Um, yeah. you, like you, you've got to make yourself really relevant. And you might not be able to have the same budget as a, I don't know, a Melbourne City or a Sydney FC who do bring a lot through from within. Um, but you've got to find that quality. Um, you've got to look at your imports. How do you nail your imports? I think it's you've got to try and put yourself back in that conversation again. Craig Dean managed to get them to finals in the past. Can you turn things around? You, you've got to have something to attract players. You've got to keep – so in short, keep hold of the players that you like, that you've unearthed this year. Um, clear out in terms of anyone that you don't see being there over these next couple of years that can have a role in you going up the table and look where else in the league, what young players can you attract from the area, but also players from Sydney, even from interstate, can you attract to try and put together a really strong squad with a really strong identity and know what you're doing from the get-go next year? Mm. It's weird because, like, you know the whole cliche about having a, a new manager bounce where, uh, like, a manager leaves, someone steps in in the interim and the club weirdly the team sort of turns it around and puts on a, a series of back-to-back really good performances. The absolute opposite as has sort of happened. Once they lost Ash Wilson, there was a 4-0 loss, a 6-0 loss and a 4-0 loss. And then the club gave Gary Van Egmond the, like the permanent role. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he hasn't exactly proven his worth here guys, but I mean, maybe it's because he was already, as Harrow mentioned, part of the setup at the club anyway, they recruited from within. So they probably don't have to pay that much money in order to get him to hang around. And that's going to be ultimately the big issue for Newcastle. They're one of the clubs that the APL are having to um, support themselves as they continue to try and find a new owner. Um, And as a result of that, playing budgets are being, you know, minimised. There's just rifts rifts everywhere across that club in both the women's and the men's. Um, So whether, like, to Harrow's point, like, how do you make this club somewhere where you want to go? It's really, really hard because you can't offer money, really. Like most other clubs can probably pay more than what Newcastle can. You can't offer a history of success. You can't necessarily offer great football. You can't offer coaching stability. You can't really offer very much aside from Newcastle's a pretty nice place to live. You know, like that's kind of it. Um, so I, 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 I don't know, like... With a club like this, when you've had just a series of, of consecutive seasons where it's it just feels like this all the time, how many times can you go, all right, next season, blank slate, clean sheet, let's do a clean out, let's bring in a whole new host of players, let's just rebuild, let's, you know, do all those fucking things. How many times can you do that before you realise that the common denominator is not necessarily like the the quality of the football or the players, but it's just the club. It's just the club. And this is, and the, the performance is just a symptom of bigger issues that are infecting the entire organization. I would be personally quite, this is obviously incredible conjecture. I would be surprised if Newcastle hang around for the next sort of era of the A-Leagues. I wouldn't be surprised if they fold because they can't find an owner unless that like the community of Newcastle, somehow step up together and like they buy the club collectively as like a community ownership model, which would be amazing. But the way that things are going, I just don't, I just don't know how they survive for the next five to 10 years, truly. It's finding a way to like, you have to be in the mix, right, Sam? Like you've got to be contending for finals. We saw with their men's team yeah. in 17-18 where they had the run to the grand final and then got done yep. over by VAR in that final against victory. Like yep. we saw McDonald Jones Stadium getting packed. We saw a really good base of support there. We saw that when they can get their team up and running, people are interested, people want to go. But you've you've got to have some results you've got to have young players I think it's something that the Mariners across town have done really well is get players coming through the academy get um, people excited about these young talents and you become a selling club I know that's more about the the men's side thing but it can it can refer to the women's as well if you've got the next Claire Wheeler or Kirsty Fenton you can't be losing them for free right um you've got to find a way to to capitalize on that 
it is. It will be interesting to see what Gary Vanegon does. Sam, there was one result they did actually beat when he was the interim initially. They beat Western United two nil in Ballarat, and then they had the, and then they lost four nil, six nil, four nil, and then had this two all draw with Adelaide, where they it feels like they should have actually gone on with it. Like they scored two goals in the first half hour, or up two nil, and then Adelaide fought back in the second half. But yeah, there wasn't so much of a. There was an initial bounce, and then sort of a. Uh, I don't know, drop off, Massive and then they sort of, and then they've leveled out a bit. But yeah, as you say, it's it's like maybe it's partially also giving that stability as well straight away, so the players know who's going to be there next year as well. But it's yeah, he's got his work cut out for him. You, as we say, you've got to you've got to recruit, you've got to get players to stick around, you've got to actually show players that there is a future to commit to. Because if you've got down the road at Central Coast a new club coming in, new coach, they're promising big things. Mm-hmm. There's a level of excitement. It's going to be hard for them to hang on to players. Yep. It's going to be really hard. Um, and I think what what we need to see from Gary Van Egmond's team next year is some excitement. Like when we had Wellington come in to the league last year, yeah, they lost a lot. We know that. They didn't win very much, but, geez, they were good to watch. And I know that's because there's a lot of young, talented, sort of under-17, yes. under-20 Kiwi representatives. Like the talent was there. They were just getting bodied off the ball a lot. But we need to see some flashes like that from Newcastle. You need to get people excited. So it's, it's a really tough task that they've got ahead of them. Um, but he's a very experienced coach and football, um, you know, in terms of football admin and football manager, a very experienced person. So he's clearly going to be given the the backing to do that. So in terms of being the technical manager but also being the the coach. So it's whether they also have the budget to help them get some players in because you need to have something to make you really competitive from the get-go. Tough times in Newey. Anyway, let's move right along. Um, That's enough chat about this round, I reckon. Some really interesting games coming up, but let's move into a boot. Does anyone have a boot? For this round, for this pod. Can I give a joking boot? You sure can. A friend of the pod, Amy Rusky, does the goal next gen list. Uh, no Aussies in the women's list. Yeah, um, I noticed that. 2004. Ooh. Ooh, I think if you spoke to anyone in particular at Melbourne City, you would say, or Dario Vidasic in particular, you'd say, one Daniela Galich shone at the mm-hmm. under-20s World Cup as a 16-year-old, three or four player, three or four years younger than a lot of the players that she was playing with and against. Yep. There's one player that I think I'd really look at getting in. It would be Danny Galich um, because I reckon world at her feet, sky's the limit in terms of her future. Um, I, like I think is the I think is our next big thing coming out of the dub like in terms of team sensations, um, is as highly rated as any we've seen for a few years. So hopefully uh, young Danny makes our good friend Amy Rusky eat her words um, because I reckon that's a that's a, a rougher mission. And this is also just to check that Amy's still listening to our pod, of course, because um, she'll hear this dig. Um, but, yeah, I, I was surprised. I was surprised to see that um, that – well, no Australians first up made it, but I'd have thought Danny Gallich would have been a good option to to throw in there. Creative, midfielder, tall. It's sort of a prototype, I think, for the new modern player, like tall midfielder who's skillful, knows where the goals are, creative, really good spatial awareness, um, has enough toe to, you know, sort of not get, get left behind, isn't a slow midfielder. I feel like it's still got so much growth and potential. Um yeah, I'd have had her in that mix. Maybe I'm not saying that she would have been number one, but I'd have thought if you're having a a list of players, she'd be the one you're looking at, given how well she's gone against women in the dub as a as a 16 year old. Agreed. So just a little cheeky boot, a friendly boot, as it were. Cop that, Amy. That's that's what that is. But hi, hope you're well. Hope you're listening. Um, let's move See on. See you then. soon. Yeah, genuinely, my brain just said, oh, my God, she'll probably be down here. here. I'll take you to watch Danny Kellich play in the MPLW New South Wales. Also, holy shit, there's like 120 days to go, but let's not get into that chat because I can't do that right now. Let's end with some how goods. Sam, you have a how good. 
I do have a how good. My how good this week is about attendance records. And there were two attendance records that have been set over the past couple of days. The first was in the Women's FA Cup quarterfinals, the game between Lewis FC, my fave team, and Manchester United. It was an absolute sellout crowd at the Dripping Pan, one of the best ever football ground names in the history of the game. Over 2,800 people crammed into this little ground in the southeast of England near Brighton um, to watch Manchester United beat Lewis 3-1. It was an amazing game. Um, Lewis did have a couple of chances, particularly early on. But my favourite part was just the crowd. There was a brass band there that were playing the hits, like like a proper brass band as well. There was a saxophone. It was a whole vibe. There were so many people there. Everyone was keen. Everyone was into it. They were chanting. They were clapping. It was just, it was so good. It was one of those games where you watch it and you're like, I want to be there. I want to go to that place and soak in what this thing is all about. I don't really watch football like that very often, but it's absolutely on my bucket list. And for anyone else who wants to watch it as well, there's a full batch replay on Optus Sport, as well as all the other FA Cup, the Women's FA Cup games um, on on the on the platform as well. So that's the first one. And the second one was this morning uh, in the Women's Champions League quarterfinal between Roma and Barcelona. Roma uh, held uh, or hosted the first leg of that quarterfinal tie in Rome at the Stadio Olimpico, and they got over 38,000 people to that game, which broke the all-time record for attendances at an Italian women's club match. And it was very fitting that it came against Barcelona, who currently hold the global record for a a women's club game with over 90,000 people. So it's just rad, like seeing these kinds of moments happen. Like every now and then when you sort of, like you had a Barcelona or you had a 2019 Women's World Cup or you had the Atletico Barca derby and you see a record like this, you're like, ooh, like, is this just going to be a flash in the pan? Is it just because, like, this particular game? Flash in the dripping pan. Hey, there we go. There it is. A flash in the dripping pan. Because, like, the marketing departments did a really good job or because they gave out heaps of free tickets. But it's like, no, no, this is a movement. This is a wave. And all of the game is benefiting from moments like this. So, yeah, this whole weekend, just in terms of proving once again that women's football is the highest growth potential area of the game uh that this is the most exciting time to be part of it that more and more people are flocking to it at club level and national team level all over the world how good see my how good is a pretty similar milestone sam for the women's game uh but it's in the area of uh memes um i don't know if you guys have seen the matildas uh promotion for their game against Scotland but as we know Matildas have a Sam Kerr and Scotland also oh have a Sam God, Kerr yes. and they've done the Spider-Man meme without <laughs> Sam Kerr and their Sam Kerr it's like yeah yeah and they've got the Sam Kerr derby and I think it was friend of the pod Burke that pointed out they big failure not to call it the Sam Kirby um especially we're giving yes it's from WA where they say derby not dumb. Totally, totally. Um, that's my little addition there. But yeah, oh man, it's so funny. When I saw I saw her on Instagram and I saw her go on Twitter, I laugh both times. Every time I see her, I laugh at it. It's so good. <laughs> it's so cheeky. Just the two Sam Kerrs pointing at each other. Um, and I saw uh, actually Scottish Sam Kerr's teammate, uh, who's obviously Sam Kerr's Chelsea teammate, Aaron Cuthbert, even commented on the Matildas um, post laughing at it. Oh, it's just so good. It's just so funny. Like, just a classic, a classic. Uh, you know, so the women's football um, accounts going to that next level in terms of entertaining us with memes, jokes, whatever. I love it. How good. The Sam Kirby. How good. I cannot wait. Obviously, that is not too far away, the games against Scotland and England. We'll obviously talk to you about them once they happen. Once we have a squad, we will obviously talk to you about that. And we still have at least one more round before that international window of the dub. So 
there's so much to look forward to. We can't wait to talk to you about it. But thank you for tuning in today. As always, we are over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review and subscribe. If you want to have a chat to us, we are at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see ya.